Father God, it's an awesome thing when we are able to get all of our families into this uh, room and think about you, sing about you, glorify you by, by uh, embracing your truth in this word. I pray that you take this time, Father, and that you'd help us concentrate, help us focus, and communicate what you want to communicate to us today. In the name of Jesus, amen. So if you've got a Bible, let's grab them and open them to Colossians 3.20. Like I said earlier, it's Family Worship Day. It's going to be a little bit shorter, maybe. Um, my, my prayers really has been this week for the verses we're about to look at in Colossians to uh, not only that God would use them on the adults here, but that God would use them on the little kiddos here because it speaks specifically to children. Um, so I'm really excited about this. Here's Colossians 3.20. It says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, I want to point out it's family worship day. The, the fact that we're having family worship day is in part because this text came up and because we wanted to give the, the kids uh, volunteers a little bit of a break. But it's awesome that we're able to have the kids in this room as we look at this passage. So last week, if you were here with us, we were in the part of this letter to the Colossians that was looking at something called household codes, which is how these individual families in the family of God do life together how they enjoy each other's company, and how they uh, participate in life together. Last week, we looked at marriage, what marriage means. And this week, we're going to look at, at how children who love Jesus relate to parents who love Jesus. This is what this part of the household codes tell us. Um, and so what does it look like? What does it sound like for children and adults, parents and kiddos, to get along in a family where they both love Jesus. And so this week, Paul addresses this by saying, children, obey your parents in everything. This is pleasing to the Lord. And then he talks to fathers specifically, so I'm going to spend a few minutes on this. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. In Ephesians 6, dads, it, it sounds like this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, before we even get to the first part about children obeying parents, which we'll get to, I want to address all the dads in the room. And I want to address all the fathers and all the people who are aspiring to one day be fathers. Listen up, this is for you. The instruction here is clear. We are commanded by God through Paul, not to provoke our children into discouragement or into anger. We're not to do things in such a way that the child's response is to be discouraged or to become angry. Now, I don't mean to say that there aren't times when children will be angry and discouraged and it will be unrelated to anything bad that you're doing. There are times for that. But this verse should give us pause and ask us, why is God saying this to us? And it should help us understand how to do that second part in Ephesians 6, which says, um, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So there's a way that we can communicate God's discipline and God's instruction that actually causes discouragement. And there's a way that doesn't. There's a way that cultivates a heart of anger in the child. And there's a way that doesn't do that. 
Now, I'm not talking about the naturally human response to God's rules. We know we talked about this before. We don't love God's rules naturally. I'm talking about the kind of hostility towards God's rules that arise from the fact that our instructions and our discipline to our kids feels completely disconnected to God. It doesn't feel like God's involved in any of it. It feels like the rules don't come from God. They only come from us. And it's because maybe we're annoyed. Maybe we're frustrated. I think every dad in this room probably feels a little bit about what I'm saying here. Maybe it's because we feel like we've got a busy schedule and we can't be interrupted. And so we say something that may be 100% correct to our child, but because it's not from a desire for the, the child to be pressed into the love of God, and it arises from our own frustration, it causes discouragement and it causes anger. Um, and there's no way around that, unfortunately. If we do it the wrong way, their perception of who God is is modeled in how we love and discipline and instruct them. Now, this doesn't mean that you don't discipline your children ever. Obviously, you're hurting them if they're disobedient and you're not able to discipline them. You're not disciplining them. Um, but where does discipline come from? Where does, the, where does it originate in the, the, fa- the father's heart, the Christian father's heart, and does it, does it come from a selfish motivation? Like, I just want time to myself? Or does it originate from a desire to love them and for them to know the love of God? So it's not just that we want them to grow up to become normal, functioning adults in society. We want that. That's definitely one reason. But we instruct our children so that they might treasure Christ, that they would love Jesus. And if our instructions aren't going in the kind of direction that, that, that creates in them a love for Jesus, we need to check it because it's not of the Lord, which is what Paul's saying here. And I'm going to admit right now, this is a place that I personally with an insane, ridiculous schedule, struggle with. And a lot of the, the dads here, and probably moms to some degree, a lot of us struggle in this area, making time for the kids. It's just difficult. Um, and um, one of the reasons why I think wives in particular aren't mentioned here is probably because, generally speaking, they don't struggle in the same way that guys do. Um, they don't struggle in the same way maybe as much as guys do. So all parents should receive this. But this is primarily a call for fathers. Are you fathering in a way that ushers your kids into a sincere and real devotion to Christ Jesus, or are you just teaching them rules? Nobody gets to Jesus by just learning rules. Nobody gets to Jesus that way. And so as much as we want to have our kids be happy and healthy and fully functioning members of society, it is infinitely more important, fathers, that we teach them to know and to love Jesus Christ. So fathers, don't provoke your children to anger or discouragement, but instruct them and discipline them in the Lord. Okay, so now I'm going to shift over to kids. Kids, thank you for bearing with me in that first part where I was talking to your dads. Now it's us. We're going to be talking together. So there's a way in which these two ideas connect. Not provoking your children to anger, and children obeying your parents. So the, the Bible says, children, obey your parents in everything. Jacob, go back to that passage in Colossians. For those who can read, for the kiddos who can read, listen, it says, obey your parents in everything. So God wrote a book. And in the book that he wrote, he, which he wants you to read and he wants you to love, 
He's shared with you all of his thoughts, all of his plans and purposes for your life. And he wants you to see that. And it says here that children obey parents. This is what the Apostle Paul is telling us by the Holy Spirit. And then he gives us a reason to do that. What is the reason to do that here? It says, for this pleases the Lord. So obeying your parents, when you listen to your parents and do what they say, it makes God happy. It makes Jesus happy when you do that. Especially when it doesn't make sense why you should obey them. It makes God happy. Now I've got a question to the kids. What is the hardest thing you've ever had to obey, kids? Can you think about it? Who has something that was absolutely impossible to obey? Does anybody have that here? L- L- Lily, what, you, what were you going to say? Were you going to say everything? Yeah. <laughs> um, so you guys should be obedient because nothing's really hard here. You guys are killing it. Um, but we know sometimes it's really hard. Paul says here, everything. We obey them in everything. And that means unless your parents are asking you to sin or to do something you know God says is wrong, you should obey them in everything. Everything here means everything. And here's the deal. It's because your parents love you more than you can possibly imagine. They love you and they want you to know Jesus and they want you to love him. And these rules are here, as we're going to see today, to help you know him and to help you love him. But here's the thing. Have you ever asked the question, kids, have you ever asked this question, why do we have rules? Why do, we ha- why, do, why do it this way? Why do this kind of thing through rules? Why would God have commands in this book for us to follow? Well, the answer to that question is actually in the first rules we receive in the Bible. Does anybody know what the first rules are in the Bible? There's 10 of them. You guys familiar with this? Ten Commandments. Thank you, Allison. Um, Ten rules that God gave his people. And I'm going to ask another question here. Do you guys know one or two of those Ten Commandments? Can I get a hand? Someone who knows one of those commandments? Do you guys know? Kaniel. Do not use God's name in vain. Gavin. Don't commit adultery. Allison. Do not steal or lie. Those are all parts of God's Ten Commandments. And um, these Ten Commandments were given by God through Moses to his people, to God's leader back then, was the channel through which they went to God's people. The reason you have these commandments in your Bible, though, is because Moses told all of the parents back then, You need to teach these commands to your kids. They need to know these commands. That's why you know them. That's why you were able to give them to me just a few minutes ago. And we see Moses tell tell these parents to do this in Deuteronomy 6. So if you've got your Bible now in Colossians, move all the way to the beginning of the book. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Deuteronomy 6. We're going to go to verse 4. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to talk about it up here. All right, here, here, here it goes. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now that sounds like it's pretty important to remember these if we're supposed to write them all over the place. Moses told these parents to teach the kids these commandments. So these rules don't just come from our parents. They come from God. They actually come from God. And the most important thing about these rules is mentioned right at the beginning of this passage where it says, it's called the Shema Yisrael. And it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your kids, heart, and with all your and with all your very good. Moses is saying that this is the most important thing in the world that you can do. More important than anything is to love God and to love God this way with all your heart, your soul, and your might. And if you think about it, the reason this is more important than any of them is because all of the other commands, all of the other obediences that we're called to, to have, they come from this. If we really love God in all of these ways, we're going to want to follow his rules. We're going we're to understand why he gave them to us. But then Moses says something really strange. This is really weird to me. So listen up. In order for parents to help their children learn these rules and why they're supposed to do them, Moses says that they need to always be thinking about them. And he talks about these rules um, saying that you need to be talking about them when you're sitting down, when you're rising up, when you're laying down, when, you, when you're doing life. You need to be always talking about these. And the point is, they always need to be part of your thinking. They always need to be right in front of you. And he wants them to know these commandments. Now, everyone knows, everyone here I think knows, that we're supposed to be following rules, right? Everyone knows that, that it's right to follow rules. We know that it's not right to be untruthful. We know that it's not uh, right to, be, to, to lie or to hurt other people. Um, but we still haven't answered our first question. The first question we had is, why do we have these rules in the first place? Is it just for that? Is it just to stop us from doing bad things? Well, there are a lot of reasons, and that's one of them, that we have these rules. But God has given us one reason, one main reason in this chapter. And I want to look at that today. So back in Deuteronomy 6, we're going to look at verse 20. It's going to come up on the screen and I'm going to read it here. Verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and against all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us as we are this day. So that's the answer to the question, 
why do we have these rules? God actually gives the answer here. Um, and this is a big deal. As you can see, it's a very big deal. It's probably a lot bigger than you actually realize. Moses is saying to these parents, one day your kids are going to ask you a question. They're going to ask you why. Why do we have these rules? Why did God give them to us? And God's answer through Moses is huge. But it starts off a little strange. He doesn't answer Moses' question, or, or Moses doesn't answer the people's question directly. He starts with a story, their story. The first thing that he says is that the people of Israel were once slaves. Do you guys remember that story? They were once slaves. They were slaves for 400 years. And then God rescues them through some amazing, miraculous, and even a little scary stuff. And so this is how God's explanation of why rules exist begins. It, with a story. He wants them to remember how they came to be free. Who saved them? And so here's the first point, and this is really important, kids. So listen very closely. God rescued these people because he loved them. He loved them before he gave them any rules at all. So think about this. This means that you can't, no matter how hard you try, you can't earn God's love. His love comes to you before you do anything at all and meets you there. God already loves you more than you can even conceive of. And so we don't do anything to earn Israel's love, Israel, or, or God's love. Israel didn't do anything to earn God's love. God saved them because he loved them, and he did, he did it before giving them any rules so that they would be free and they would know that he loves them. So listen to verse 23, though. It says, that wasn't the only reason so that they would be free. He's going towards something. Verse 23 says, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. God wants them to have a land that was promised to their forefathers. Do you know what we call this land? You got it, Gavin. The promised land. It's called the promised land. And we've got other verses that say it's a very good land. It's a land um, fill, of plenty, filled with milk and honey. And the idea here is that everything that you could want, everything that you could think of having in this land is there. Think about the best possible food that you could eat. Think about the, the most possible fun that you could have. The point of those verses talking about how beautiful this land is, is to tell us this is the place they were meant to be. This is, this is their home. This is where they were always meant to be. So number one, God loved them before there were any rules. You can't earn his love. And number two, his love that gave them freedom isn't just going to give them freedom, but is promising to bring them into this land with all these blessings. So the question is, where do these rules fit in? You just told me a story about what God has done and what God's going to do. What does that have to do with rules? And so here's the connection. It's in verse 24. Listen to what it says here. And what does it have? Think about this. What does it have to do with obeying your parents? How is that story connected with obeying your parents? Well, verse 24 helps us out. It says, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. So Moses has three things here. If you could see them, three things that are connected to the commandments. 
Not only did God rescue them, not only did God promise to bring them into the promised land, but he gave them these statutes. He gave them these rules, and he did it for three specific reasons. Number one is this. Do we have the slides for these? Okay, okay, awesome. Fear the Lord our God. That's number one. Number two, for our good always. And number three, that he might preserve us alive. These three things are connected with those rules. So um, in Israel's case, if we think about where Israel is, um, on their way to the promised land, these three rules aren't, the, or, uh, the, the rules that they're given, the commands that they're given aren't just for command's sake. They're not just for rules' sake. They don't just exist because it's fun to follow rules. There's a reason behind them. There's meaning behind them. And so we're going to look at each of these three things and find out what God is trying to do by giving us commands, what God is trying to do by giving us rules. <laughs> and I want to find out why they're so important. So the first one in this list is fear the Lord our God. God wants us to fear him. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean, Josiah, you have something? <laughs> uh, what does that mean, to fear the Lord our God? Does it mean that we run away from God scared? Does that, is that what it means? When, when we see something that says to fear the Lord our God, does it mean that we are terrified of him and scared of him and running away from him? No, obviously not. I mean, he came to his people. He loved them. He freed them. So he's not talking about that, but he wants them to understand how great and how powerful he really is. And the response of a human heart to that greatness and power is a real kind of fear. He's telling us that God is the greatest and most powerful being in the universe. There is nothing more powerful than him. And so everything you think about in this world that is dangerous and that is scary he made that. It belongs to him, and it is a plaything compared to who he is. So my kids have been on a shark kick. Have your kids ever gotten on this thing where they just want to see stuff about sharks? So I love great white sharks. They're amazing creatures. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, that's right, Maya. Uh, and, and so my kids have been on a shark kick, and they've been wanting, wanting to watch these videos of, like, sharks breaching out of the water and sharks doing these crazy things. And, uh, it's just interesting. You look at this creature, this massive animal that is basically just a jaw filled with teeth that has fins and can go really fast. And you, you need to recognize that God made that. It's a little thing to him, like a little betta fish to him. It's small. Even though it looks big and scary to us, God is bigger. He is greater and more powerful. And so that means, that tells us that God is not a person that you can just talk to He's not a person to be messed around with or trifled with. He's not just a regular person. He is the God of the universe, and he wants us to know that. He wants us to feel it inside of us. And we can't really understand the love of God and his grace in coming to rescue us if we can't understand how big and how powerful he really is. We'll never have an understanding of that. And we know that God doesn't want us to run away from him at all. Not at all. There's a line in the Chronicles of Narnia. Who's read the Chronicles of Narnia here? Lots of Chronicles of Narnia fans. So you'll remember this. There's a line in the Chronicles of Narnia where the lion who represents Jesus, represents God. What's his name? Aslan. Someone asked a question. I think it's Lucy. Asked Mr. Beaver a question about Aslan. She's never met him. This is this powerful, massive lion that represents God. She asks, is he 
safe. Is he safe? Should I play around and hang around this lion? And Mr. Beaver responds, of course, he's not safe. He's not safe at all. But he's good. He's good. Better than being safe is someone who's not safe, but good. God is not safe at all. Not safe at all, but he is very good to us, his children. So we don't just treat him like another person. We fear him in his power, in his greatness, not by running away from him, but by by running towards him and recognizing that he can protect us from anything. He can protect us from anything. Sort of like a hurricane. You guys ever seen the hurricanes where the eye of the hurricane is completely still? I used to live in Florida, so I know this firsthand. The eye of the hurricane is completely still. Everything else is crazy, but the eye is completely still. The closer you are to the center of the hurricane, the safer you are. Um, And just don't make your way along the band because that's dangerous. (laughs) Um, So God wants us to recognize that. He wants us to know that clinging to him, holding on to him, loving him is the safest place in the universe. There is no place safer than that, no matter how dangerous it might look on the outside. That's what fearing God is, which is connected to the next part, which is this. God's rules are always, always for our good. They're never pointless. They're never bad for us. They are always for our good. He wants us to know that, and he wants us to believe it. Sometimes when our parents give us rules, they don't make sense, right? Have you guys ever been given a rule that doesn't make any sense? You're like, that makes no sense at all. And you had to do it? You guys are all lying. I know, you, I know you have had those rules before. I've given those rules before. <laughs> so I know, I, know, I know what it feels like to get them and to give them. So some rules don't make any sense to us where we're at. Some rules don't make any sense, but we're told to obey them. But here's the thing. Your parents know better than you what rules are good and what rules are not. Your parents know what will help you know and love Jesus. So if you've got any little brothers and sisters, you guys know this already. Because whenever you tell your little brother or sister, don't do that, don't do this, you'll get hurt, don't do that, you know that their response to that is going to be whether or not they trust you because you know better than them. You've been around for a few more years, you're a little bit wiser than them. But think about your parents. They've been around for a few more decades than you. So they know, they know what's better. And think about God who has been around since the very beginning. He is infinitely smarter than everyone. And so this is the God that we're called to believe. He is always fighting for our good. So those are the two first things on this list. Fear the Lord our God, and his rules are always for our good. But here's number three. Number three is this, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. What does that mean? What does God mean by that? Well, how is he going to preserve his people alive. Well, let's start by looking back at the people of Israel. Remember the people of Israel? They're um, freed from Egypt and they're on their way to the promised land. God has reminded them now, listen, before I explain to you the meaning of these rules, know that you were rescued and I'm going to bring you to a place. And he loves them. He's expressing his love for them. How do the rules fit in this? How does preserving them fit alive, fit in this? Well, it must mean at some level that God is going to keep them alive as he brings them from Egypt to the promised land. He is saying, I'm going to keep you alive. 
And part of the way that I'm going to do that is through these rules, that God's going to bring them safely through these rules to the promised land. Now, it's important to note, like I said at the beginning, you cannot earn anything from God. You cannot earn the promised land from God. You don't do anything that, that, that God looks down and says, great job, I'm going to give it to you. But it's abundantly clear that somehow God uses these rules to bring us into that land. And the question is, how does that work? Well, let's ask this question here. When a parent, kiddos, asks you not to cross the road without looking both ways because they say it's dangerous, what are they expecting from you? Not only obedience, but why would you obey that command? Do you believe that it's dangerous? Do you trust them that it's dangerous? Ultimately, what God is after here, by giving the people of Israel these rules that they should follow and obey, is that they would trust him, that they would rely on him, for them to love him and really love him so much from every part of their being that they're like, this is what I need to do. I want to do this to please you and to honor you. And so kids, let's go ahead and invite the parents back. I've been having a sidebar with you. Let's invite the parents back as we close this out. Because this part is for them. We all know that whether you're a parent or a kid, it isn't easy to trust God. Would anybody agree with that? Sometimes it's hard to trust God. Sometimes you just don't want to. And in part, that's because our hearts don't feel that inclination. (laughs) And for kids, this is true about parents. Sometimes we just don't want to trust our parents. We don't want to obey our parents. We don't believe that they've got our good in mind. And we would rather trust our own way and our own selves and think what's best in order for us to do what we want to do. That's what we And we won't always outright disobey, right? I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we don't disobey by saying no. Sometimes we disobey by rationalizing and by justifying as a means to get around what we've been told, what we know is right and good. That kind of response to God's commands is very dangerous, very scary. For example, most of the people in Israel who heard Moses say these words did not make it into the promised land. In fact, an entire generation, all the adults there, were not able to go into the promised land. They stayed in the wilderness for 40 years because they refused to trust and love God, even though his rules were for their own good. But they failed here so that we would understand what happened and we would learn from their mistake. But not only that, their story is actually part of a bigger story, an even greater story. Here's the things. Here's the thing, kids. You can't obey your parents on your own. You can't do that. And parents, you can't obey your heavenly father on your own. It is impossible for you to do what God's called you on your own. Left to ourselves, our hearts do not obey God. They do not trust God. They do not love them. (laughs) But praise be to God that he didn't leave us that way. Though we could not obey, God has done something for us. So we're almost to the end, guys. Listen up. Remember the question that I asked earlier? What is the hardest thing you've ever had to obey? The hardest thing. Of every rule, every command given, there is actually one command that was given that is harder than every other command. 
one command that is almost impossibly hard. And I'm going to show it to you in the Bible. Mark 14 has it. This is what it says. And going a little farther, Jesus fell on the ground and prayed, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. The most difficult command ever given in human history is the command that God the Father gave his beloved son Jesus in that garden. It is the most difficult command, and it was a command for him to die on a cross for our sins. This was the most difficult command in history because in giving it, it guaranteed a kind of undoing in Jesus, in the Son that wouldn't just kill him, but would make him cry out in agony to his Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Though he had been perfectly united with his Father for all eternity, the union would suffer a kind of trauma that we cannot even come close to imagining. And in this scene, Jesus knows that. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what's before him. He's headed to this cross. He's headed towards that trauma. And he asks one last time from his father, please, if there's any way, can this cup pass from me? Do I have to take this cup? That this horrible event that we can't even conceive of would pass from him. Yet he knows, he knows that despite the fact that all things are possible for his father, this is what has to happen. His father's command is clear. The cross is the only way that God's people can be rescued. It's the only way. And this time, God's not just going to rescue them from physical slavery. This isn't Egypt anymore. To rescue them from slavery to sin and death. They will be his people forever. They won't just be freed from sin. They will be freed from everything that has kept them enslaved to sin. So when Jesus obeys his Father and dies on the cross for us, he makes a way for those who trust him, not only to be saved from our sin and the punishment that's real that we deserve by doing it, but to finally be able to obey him to finally be able to trust him. And kids, this doesn't just mean that for your parents, the cross is the way that they obey God. This also means that because of the cross, you can obey your parents. Because of what Jesus did, you have a new heart. His spirit dwells inside of you if your faith is in him. So think about this for a second. In the cross, We see God's grace like it's never been shown before in this world. He gave his only begotten son so that we would be free. And if we believe and trust in Christ Jesus, we're forgiven of all of our sins and we are given, and this has never happened before, we are given in our lives the ability to love and trust him and obey. We are given the ability to obey. This new Um, heart that we have now fears God the way it was always meant to, the right way, the healthy way of clinging to him and loving him. This new heart 
always knows that what God tells me to do is for my good. It's for my good, so I, I would be foolish to disobey it. And this new heart knows that God will one day bring us home to, the, to our promised land, to be with him forever, and to enjoy God and his beauty and his glory for all eternity. That's our promised land. Every possible thing that you have in this life that's really awesome, think about all of them. They're really small and insignificant compared to being with the one that we were made for, compared to being with God who loves us very much. So see that the cross, the cross says that we can trust God with anything in our lives. There's nothing he can't fix and there's no rule that is too difficult for us to obey. If he was willing to give up his own son to rescue us, how will he not freely give us all things? The cross shows that the love of God and these rules are God's love for us to keep us, to carry us home, to be with him forever. We don't earn or, or do anything to obey uh, to get that love. We don't, we don't make that love um, our goal. That love is ours already. And when we see it for what it is, we fall in love with God and all of our obedience comes from that. You got it, kids? You've been really good today. I'm very thankful for you today. Let's um, pray, and then we'll close with some songs. Father God, I'm so glad that I was able to hang out with these kids today. Um, they are a blessing. They truly are a blessing. And I'm thankful for parents that love their kids and um, are clearly, even in this service, it's clear that you can see that they've They've encountered God through Scripture, and that's an amazing thing. I pray, Father God, that, that as we go from here, Lord, that whether we're an adult or whether we're a child, that we would understand our obedience to you is for our good, that you love us deeply, and that we would see that any obedience we bring to the table, we bring to the table because Jesus Christ obeyed you. When you said, I want to rescue our people, he said, yes, I will do it. And he went straight to that tree and he paid for our sins so that we don't have to fear punishment anymore. And he saved us from slavery to sin so that we are free to obey. What a great thing to think about obedience as freedom. We have a liberty to obey the living God because we want to glorify and honor him as God. I ask that you come here as we sing songs, Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.